Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. James Dean once said, quote, I think there is only one form of greatness for man. If a man can bridge the gap between life and death, I mean, if he can live on after he has died, then maybe he was a great man. To me, the only success, the only greatness is immortality, end quote. The desire for immortality is common amongst men. There is something disappointing about the reality of our work and lives disappearing into the ether only a generation or two after we shuffle off our mortal coil. Most of us are only slightly bothered by this reality in brief moments, though. A funeral, a health scare, a sleepless night. For others, the drive for relative immortality is so strong that their entire existence is consumed by it. But the means for extending your relevance for generations is limited. You can create art that resonates beyond your life, like Van Gogh. You can make music that is forever appreciated and replicated, like Mozart. You can be historically important in good ways, like Gandhi, or in bad ways, like Hitler. Or you can create a religion that requires your name to be pushed forward throughout time as long as there are followers. Think the subject of today's show, L. Ron Hubbard. For the past 15 or 20 years, the general public has become more aware of the controversial beliefs and tactics of this newest global religion. Many people are even familiar with its patriarch's name, but not many people know about his wild-ass story, so we figured that we'd jump into that subject after listeners Allison Getsky and Chris Londo suggested it. Was L. Ron Hubbard a war hero, polymath, who developed a new understanding of humanity and a way to help it? Or was he just a wild-eyed charlatan who cynically crafted a cult to personally enrich himself and maintain relevance past his natural shelf life? What is Scientology anyway? And is it really any crazier than the salad bar of other religions across human history? Well, grab your e-meters, throw your medications in the toilet, put on your silly Sea Org sailor outfit, and listen up as we dive into the wild story of the founding of a modern religion and the man behind it on this episode of Asshole Court. All right, so uh, let's get preliminary scores. Randy, what do you know and think about L. Ron Hubbard? So right off the rip, I'm going to have a hard time. I always have had a hard time with his name, right? Me as well. Right. I, I, I actually, until we started doing the research. Thought it was L. Ron, like the Ron. Yeah, <laughs> like L. Dog, yeah. L. Ron. L. Ron. I do <laughs> continuously call him L. Ron throughout this. There you go. Because that's why I feel like it's just funnier yeah yeah it's the ron yeah, yeah. The, ron. The, the ron ron. yeah absolutely so yeah I, I i giggle every time i see it but it wouldn't have as much bang if he was just ron hubbard yeah right like, yeah it's true yeah and it, he's one of those guys where you'd have to include his middle name which he does technically mm-hmm. 
you know, like John Wayne Gacy or yeah. John Wilkes Booth, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's kind of like presidential assassin style with the three yeah. names. Well, they always you know? they always got three names. Well, no shit. The reason they do that is so you know exactly the person they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. ruin the lives of some guy, Ron Hubbard, that lives down the street. <laughs> yeah. Or, or like John Gacy. Yeah. 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 So, you know, this is a very, you know, it's not a touchy subject. But there's so much out there in terms of like retribution against people that have spoken out against Scientology. Sure. I'm just hoping uh, we don't get followed home tonight from the studio. I um, was going to say, I, I would be honest, and there is concern that at some point, because they're so famously uh, litigious, yeah. that we may get a cease and desist. So, uh, listeners, enjoy this episode while it's still on the air. Because <laughs> we definitely don't have the money to contest That's this. That's right. And if we end up getting, <laughs> if I end up having to fight Tom Cruise, then someone better videotape it so we can uh, go hey, viral. The kicker with us is we got receipts, boys. We got we source all of our research. That's uh, true. Yeah. Now we're we're buttoned up, man. It's just a bunch of opinions. Um, but you know, it's it's always interesting to see like a cult leader or you know, and that's kind of how I frame these guys a little bit. You know, it is a religion, right? And you got thousands of people. And if you go down to Clearwater, Florida and yep. see their headquarters, like it's yep. a it's a what I would probably assume probably close to a billion dollar entity. They're you know they're I mean? pretty much buying up all of Clearwater at yeah. this point. Yeah. And that's wild. not cheap real estate. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the story behind this guy is pretty interesting. It, he's just an odd cat, man. Like and well, I'm not gonna, you know, spoil the ending because I know a good bit about him. I got into the whole Scientology kick when that Leah Remini show came out. Yeah, on she Netflix kinda, or whatever. Yeah, and kind of denounced the whole thing, and they had a whole bunch of shit go down. And you learn a lot about just kind of how they operate. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fucked up. Um, obviously, Tom Cruise has been the face of Scientology for a while, and he was also in our courtroom. That's right. Uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that show. That's a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at prior cult leaders that we've had on the show. One that came to mind was Jim Jones. Yeah. He's oh, at 9.33. I think that's a little high mm -hmm. for the Ron. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to tone him down a little bit. I think he's right on pace with Rick James. Oh, yeah. So I'm okay. going to put him pre-show at a 7.99. Okay. 7.99 for Randy on the Ron Hubbard. What do you got, buddy? All right. So for me, um, I don't know much about the Ron Hubbard. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, I was nervous about talking about him because, like, when we first started the show, we were like, man, there's a couple things we probably need to stay away from. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, but, you know, as time's gone on, you know, we'll, we always review that and kind of mm -hmm. feel like we can go in there right now. Um, But I know of Scientology. I don't really know of Elrond. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pumped up about the show to find out, you know, just what we can about him. As far as I'm concerned, he stole Tom Cruise from us. Tom Cruise was the man, and then the next thing you know, he's jumping up and down on Oprah's couch, and I'm like, oh, man, Scientology's like... Although fucking Top Gun Maverick comes out very soon, just oh. take my money, boys. Like, I'm watching this You have been excited shit. about this for yeah. years, maybe. Yeah. I fucking love Maverick. So... I digress. But, yeah, so um, I really don't know much about him, so um, I'm going to have to start off kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I assume that... I've heard all the stories that Mikey's told just about like how bad of a guy he is, but I haven't really, we haven't really gone into um, any kind of depth of those stories. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm going to start them off a little bit higher. I don't know if I'm going to be going up as far as a good old 7.99, but let's see here. Why don't we put them up there at a 7.56 along with Takashi 69. Very, very, uh, very similar. Yeah, very similar yes. and look and, uh, <laughs> yes. and dress and uh, reach. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I put them out there for the reach. So, uh, 7.56 opening score for 
the Ron Hubbard. All right, All right Mikey, what do you got? Uh, so I know a good bit about Scientology and stuff like that, but it's funny. I didn't know a ton about his whole heart. I knew the basics of his life or whatever, but I didn't like get, doing the research on this. There was a lot of stuff that I mean, it's fascinating. It's 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 a wild story. So um, to start him off, I am going to give him an eight point five. Uh, make it short and sweet. Uh, I think that he is effectively a cult leader. Uh, not a big fan of cults. You're not. Not really. Interesting. Not mm. really. Surprising. So, yeah. So that's it. 8.5 for me. All right. With a 7.99 from Randy, a 7.56 from Buddy, and an 8.5 from Mikey, L. Ron Hubbard's pre-show asshole score is an 8.01. Okay. 8.01 puts him a tick above Scott Peterson, slightly below Bonnie and Clyde. Huh. On our interesting. Scale. That's a interesting place to fall. Scott Isn't Peterson. It? Yeah. <clears throat> Forgot about that episode. Where's the fruit basket, Mikey? There's the fruit basket. God <laughs> damn it. Where's the fruit basket? <laughs> Man. All right. Well, you guys ready to expel some Thetans? Let's do it. Oh, sounds exciting. Sweet. On March 13th, 1911, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard is born in Tilden, Nebraska, a tiny town whose population is nearly identical today as to what it was on the day he was born. 901 people in 1910 and 930 today. Lafayette, Are you kidding Ron? me? Yeah, Lafayette. Only 29 Ron. more people? Exactly. Apparently, whenever a new baby is born, they sacrifice an elderly citizen to Hubbard to maintain relative stasis, not unlike the movie Midsummer. So, oh. so I can't get over his name. It's Lafayette Ron. Lafayette Ronald sounds, Hubbard. <laughs> sounds like a busted ass like criminal mastermind in like Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, it's Lafayette Ron. Tilden, Nebraska. There you yeah, go. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And honestly... Yeah. Uh, that's probably why I chose Elron. Yeah, I would definitely choose Elron with yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm joking <laughs> about Ronnie. Them, <laughs> Ronnie. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously, about them sacrificing people. But if they did, I would probably think it would be more interesting than it is now. Sorry, Tilden, but you know that's probably true. Nine hundred people for a solid century. Wow. Century, one hundred ten years actually. Now Hubbard's father, Harry Ross, was a U.S. sailor. Although at the time of Elron's birth, he worked at a newspaper. I'm not sure how many pages of paper could be for a town of 900, but I imagine the 600 or so literate folks in Tilden needed something to pass the time and keep up with the important events like corn detasseling, fish fries, and the occasional geriatric sacrifice. Yeah, I imagine more like a pamphlet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the thrifty nickel. Remember those back in the day? That's right, yeah. Man, nice. showing our age for real. Pick up an old thrifty nickel. <laughs> and all it was was just advertisements. I know what you got when out when you're taking a shit. I mean, it is what it is. Anything you got something is. to read. I'll read a shampoo bottle before I read this a thrifty nickel, dude. cell phone man, era, folks. Yeah. A lot of Reader's Digest for me, man. Oh, well, that's yeah. when I found the longest word in, that I could ever find in my life on the back of a shampoo bottle. Methychloroisothiazolinone. One word. It's in almost every shampoo bottle that is on the planet. And it is literally, yeah, it's 27 letters, I think. Methychloroisothiazolinone. Is it like longer than anti-disestablishmentarianism? Yeah, I think so. Oh, wow. We should check it out and see. It's also, like, at least you know what that word is. If you say methychloroisothiazolinone, <laughs> if someone's like, I'm probably mispronouncing it, too. Some fucking chemicals, like, chemist out there is just like, man, my, he's a fucking idiot. What, a, what, what a moron. <laughs> All of them. Dumbass. Uh, but anyways, perhaps uh, being tired of writing the same bullshit day in and day out and goaded on by the U.S.'s entrance into World War I, Harry Ross rejoins the Navy in 1917. Shortly thereafter, he gets a promotion as an officer, and the family necessarily becomes mobile as they follow Harry abroad for his naval career. Harry's naval. Harry's naval career, yeah. <laughs> 
One such excursion occurred in 1923 on the USS uh, Ulysses S. Grant via a circuitous route uh, Seattle to Washington, Washington, D.C. by way of the relatively new Panama Canal. According to Elrond himself, along this voyage, he was treated to an extended education on psychoanalysis from the naval commander Joseph Snake Thompson, who himself was a naval psychoanalyst and a student of Sigmund Freud. Snake? I, snake! Yeah, like the psychoanalyst named Snake. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder oh, wow. if he had a tattoo what it was. He said, oh, dude, your ego, bro. <laughs> snake from The Simpsons. Time for a crime spree. wonder if he had two dice with the ones on it, You're on right. his arm. Uh, those sailors back in the day, they definitely had all sorts of cool Hula tattoos. girls with their titties out. Mm-hmm. I remember a guy that we went to school with, his grandpa showed up for like an award ceremony. Yep, I remember that. And on his forearm, he had a hula, hula girl. girl with... Yeah. Bare titties hanging those out. Tattoos like, wow. for, those tattoos for sailors back in the day worked the same way that Russian prison tattoos did. They meant something. So if you had a Russian hula, like, or not Russian hula girl, <laughs> if you had a hula girl on your arm, it means that you'd been stationed in Hawaii. Right. And okay. then they had one, like, if you had done, like, I forgot, they called them shellbacks. These are dudes that go and they cross the um, equator. So once you go over, you get your, your shellback or whatever it is. So every tattoo those old sailors actually, like, meant something. So it's kind of cool when you look at that. Same thing with, like, uh, Russian prison tattoos. Every tattoo that they have is sort of indicative of a part of their life or whatever. It tells a story about them without them having to tell you that. So kind of interesting. Anyways, apparently the lessons continued past the voyage, with Thompson allegedly spending time with Elrond in the Library of, the, of Congress. And it does seem that this story has actually been more or less verified. So he did hang out with this commander, I guess, and, and, and was taught stuff about Freudian psychoanalysis, uh, which nowadays is not well respected in the psychiatric community. Freud is sort of a... I don't know. You start talking about Freud and talk to somebody who's in a psychology class, they're like, ugh, that's some old shit. Nobody listens to that guy anymore. But at the time, it was uh, the hot new right. science. Yeah. It's also around this time that Elrond excelled in the Boy Scouts and became, according to him, the youngest Eagle Scout in the country. But that part is definitely less verified. The Boy Scouts of America said that at the time, it did not keep a record of the ages of its Eagle Scouts, only an alphabetical list of those who had received the award. So it seems pretty much impossible that Elrond would have known that he was the youngest Eagle Scout. Anyways, like I said, yeah, Elrond uh, was apparently was an Eagle Scout, but certainly no way of knowing if he was the youngest like at the time. But he likes to make that claim. But that kind of claim is like pretty on brand for old Elrond, as you'll soon see. Anyway, by the time he's attending high school, his father gets stationed in Guam, and his parents both think it's likely best to keep Elrond stateside. So they send him to Helena, Montana. Is that how you pronounce it? Helena? Yeah, Helena. Helena. Okay. Hell in a handbasket. Hell in a handbasket, Montana, to live with his grandparents and finish out high school. But according to Elrond himself, he did ultimately spend some time in Asia with his parents. Hubbard, in some Scientology historical text, claimed that he traveled to Japan, China, the Philippines, and Guam over the course of a couple years. He worked aboard a coastal trader where he traveled in between Japan and Java. He became familiar with Shanghai and Beijing as well, during a time when there were very few Westerners in China at all. He spent time questioning Buddhist wise men and observing them meditate. He also met with the famous Chinese magician, Old Mayo, which is, that's really what it is. I don't, oh, he's such Mayo. a spoiled kid. Yeah. Uh, whose lineage went all the way back to the court of Kublai Khan. Additionally, he spent time with a Major Ian McBean of the British Secret Service and engaged in multiple swashbuckling adventures, including an encounter with Cantonese pirates and even fist-fighting an Italian swordsman named Giovanni, who he apparently knocked out cold after taking a sword slash to the face and McBean almost losing his hand. Is that real? 
Well, that's the question, right? This is what he claims. This is what a lot of the Scientology texts will say is how he spent his time in Asia and how he developed an understanding of Eastern philosophies at a young age. Of course, people that have looked into it have cast some doubts about the veracity of these alleged events. But I mean, who are you going to believe? The guy that makes the claims or some bullshit researchers who dug up stuff like Elrond's school records, diaries, and his father's service records. <laughs> yeah, who we believe in, Peter Pan or the actual researchers? Probably going to go with the researchers on this one. They claim a very different story regarding Hubbard's experience in Asia. First of all, he wasn't like some Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai character disappearing into and fully immersing himself into Asian cultures. Rather, Elrond only made two trips to the east coast of China. The first was made in the company of his mother while traveling from the United States to Guam in 1927. It consisted of a brief stopover in two Chinese ports before the pair transferred to a U.S. Navy transport, the USS Gold Star, for the journey to Guam. Hubbard spent about six weeks on the island before returning to the United States. Six weeks on Guam. Not six weeks in China. Guam. He had two layovers and then six weeks in Guam. Correct. His second visit was a family holiday that took Hubbard and his parents to China via the Philippines in 1928. And his alleged trips to Western China, Tibet, and India look equally unlikely. But hey, you don't have to travel to Asia to respect Eastern philosophies or people, right? So maybe Elrond just wanted to express his admiration uh, of these kind of things in a weird way. I'm a fucking liar sort of way you know what i'm saying but we've talked about adult liars on our show just fucking weird yeah it really is yeah but that's also not the case either because his contemporary diary entries aren't exactly kind to the asian people Mm -hmm. here's what he wrote about the chinese people who uh he encountered on his short trips quote they smell the baths they didn't take the trouble with china is there are too many chinks here oh wow end quote Wow. You're in China, homeboy. Like, yeah. what do you think is going to be there? Yeah, and I don't understand that phrase. They smell of the baths they didn't take. Yeah, they, they smell like they need to take a bath. Well, I get that, but even the <laughs> phrasing is odd because you're like, they, a, a bath a smells phrasing. pretty good. You so know, they smell of the baths that they did didn't not take. take. We got a guy that works for me that smells kind of bad, and it's almost become a thing in the office where people are like, oh, I mean, that guy stinks. We don't know whether it's his shoes or that he doesn't bathe or he just wears the same clothes. It's all of the above, maybe. Have we had a conversation with this guy? Uh, we have not, but now the funny story that we've made up is they have a, a dog named Potato, and uh, we just said that you know they, they give Potato a bath once a week, uh, bathe Potato first, then he follows up in the bathtub. <laughs> um, yeah, after the dog. That's, that's kind of where it comes from. You know what sells that joke so well? That dog's name? The dog's name, <laughs> Potato, yeah. One potato, two potato. <laughs> they bathe potato first. <laughs> Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at patreon.com slash podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. Anyway, so like enlightened and a loving young person, L. Ron Hubbard was not. When he returns home from Guam, he decides that a Navy officer's commission is just right for him. Just like old man. Just like his old pop. So he studies up and he takes the Naval Academy entrance exam. He bombs it. Oh. So instead, he oh, decides. Old smarty pants Library of Congress boy finds out. I know, out. I know, right? Old Eagle Scout. Uh huh. Man. So instead, he decides. 
thanks to some guidance from his father, that the next best step is college. He enrolls at George Washington University in D.C., where he studies civil engineering, and he quickly proves that his naval entrance exam failure was just an odd fluke. He is a genius after all. I'm kidding. He struggles mightily, failing multiple courses, including atomic physics and getting a D in meats. Nope. That actually was Rick Perry who got a D in meets. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. I thought I remembered that being somebody else. <laughs> that was Rick what Perry. What was the first class? Atomic engineering? Yeah, atomic physics. Oh, yeah. I don't know how well I would have done in that. That's true. <laughs> I mean, sounds, but the good news hard. is that Rick Perry, who got a D in meets, ended up being the uh, head of the nuclear energy department for the country. <laughs> uh, anyways, his academic efforts are poor enough that he gets put on probation in September 1931 and April of 1932. But... Poor grades aside, he sets up a glider club at his school and even puts together a Caribbean excursion where he and his classmates attempt to explore and film pirate hotspots and hope to curate interesting artifacts and maybe even treasure. Wait, he's like going after like Christopher Columbus's lost treasures down in the Caribbean or something like that? Yeah, he's got a glider club. They're all flying gliders and shit, you know? Sounds like the Goonies. It does. <laughs> busted ass prehistoric Goonies. That's it. I like that. That's good. And Elron is Sean Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Or is he Brand? Sloth. Yeah. <laughs> Brand, the older brother. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. Uh, anyways, his whole uh, excursion to the Caribbean is an absolute failure. And Hubbard also drops out of university at this point. Perhaps hoping to give his son some direction in life, Harry Hubbard signs L. Ron up for a volunteer mission to Puerto Rico with the Red Cross. But halfway to Puerto Rico, L. Ron drops the volunteer mission with the Red Cross and instead heads off on a mission to find gold in the Caribbean once again. Ah, yes. It's an absolute failure <laughs> once again. This is a weird cat. And, and like, I, so dad's just like really rich. He's going to like basically fail out of everything and his, go everywhere. And his dad isn't rich, but his dad's fairly connected because he ended up moved fairly high up in the Navy and stuff like that. And at that time, especially like to be like an officer in the Navy and stuff like that was like super well regarded. And sure, sure, sure. He, you know, he, that's how he had contacts and stuff like, like that. Like airline pilots and stuff like that. Just right. very respected professions. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. And so, yeah, he was, I mean, I, I feel bad for his dad because he's just like, I mean, you're getting access to all this stuff and we're trying to help you out. And Yeah, his dad's trying to do everything for him and sounds like he just has like a fuck up of a son basically at the end of the day. It's true, man. Got pipe dreams. It's so true. In February of 1933, fresh off taking L's from the Navy, George Washington University, and hidden Caribbean pirate treasure, Elron, whose name is really fitting at this point. <laughs> hey, Lafayette. <laughs> L, catch another L, Ron. Returns to Washington, D.C. He meets a fellow glider pilot, Margaret Grubb, who went by Polly. They hit it off, quickly marry, have a couple kids, and struggle for cash. Oh, Polly Grubb. Polly yeah. Grubb. Yeah. Polly Hubbard is a little bit better, although it does sound like a like a child's book character or something like that. Yeah. She was uh, Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard. <laughs> Polly Hubbard went to a cupboard. <laughs> Polly Hubbard went on a journey to find gold in the Caribbean. <laughs> uh man. But yeah, like they're they are really struggling for cash. And that has a lot to do with the profession of choice for Elron at this point. He's already failed at entering the Naval Academy. Dropped out of college and failed as a treasure hunter, obviously. Now, what is a man in that situation to do? Sell his ass for cash. Well, no. Instead, he started a podcast with two of his best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Big reveal time. <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, but he did go the entertainment route. 
he started writing short fiction stories for various pulp magazines. And these jobs tended to pay about a penny per word, which obviously with inflation, you know, it's a little bit more than what, what you're thinking now. But still, even then, it's not a, a whole bunch. I want 500 words, Hubbard. I want it by Monday. Yeah. You Five bucks. <laughs> Shit. But like, I was reading somewhere, they were saying, I think during this time, like his entire like earnings were the equivalent of like $10,000 today. Oh, oh ouch. Yes. You can't. You can't, really, Ouch. you can't do much with that, man. So he's like, man, I've got a family. I really got to provide for them. What's the lowest paying job I can take here, guys? Yeah. Well, I said, <laughs> so Elron, uh, despite writing shitty fantasy and sci-fi stories at an impressive clip, because he was a prodigious writer, he wrote a lot. Well, he's still broke as fuck, dude. But you got to give old Elron some credit. He doesn't stop just because his profession pays less than a mute Denny's waitress working an afternoon shift. He keeps writing. And his work starts to catch, just a little bit. In 1937, he publishes his first full-length novel, Buckskin Brigades, which I imagine is about a giant pioneer orgy. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. The storyline. I don't. I don't know what it is. <laughs> who knows? Honestly, Buckskin who, who cares? Yeah. yeah, Buckskin Brigades. It's my name, Buck. I like Buck. Anyways, he even lands a job writing the screenplay for The Secret of Treasure Island, a movie serial uh, for Columbia Pictures. A movie serial? Yeah, so it was like they did it was like they did multiple it was kind of like a show nowadays, I guess. Okay. You know, but back then you didn't have a TV to watch it on. Uh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A short film. That's it. Well, yeah, multiple short films. It told milk. a long story. Mmm, <laughs> serial. I like good cereal. Mm-hmm. Kind of El- what kind of cereal did Elron? I like raisin bran. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. Life cereal. Because <laughs> that's what I'm about. That's it. Life. Satan charms. <laughs> There you go. They're magically suspicious. (laughs) That's awesome. Anyway, uh, as his career sputters off the runway, Elrond finds himself spending more and more time in New York, where he was very likely conducting an affair. Ah, yes. All those uh, meetings in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's like, you have another meeting? Like, you just made $10,000 all of last year. (laughs) What are you possibly doing? (laughs) <laughs> what maybe are they covering your expenses your, no. <laughs> all expenses paid <laughs> but the sky's the limit babe <laughs> this is just I'm getting on the ground floor of this whole thing once this takes off I'll probably be making like two million dollars a year I've got sheepskin condoms <laughs> It's true. That's a, oh my god! They used to fucking sheep guts, dude. Yeah. Oh wow. Actually, just slide, yeah. slide these uh, sheep intestines over your cock. So you it's like a re- sausage casing. <laughs> <laughs> oh Hell yeah! Oh man. Uh, another interesting thing occurs at this time. Elrond gets a toothache that sends him to the dentist for a procedure. L toothache. <laughs> <laughs> During this procedure, Hubbard allegedly has a bad reaction to one of the drugs that were used. Elrond himself would later claim that the reaction was so bad as to trigger a near-death experience, but not like a light at the uh, end of a tunnel type thing, so much as a, you're the chosen one that has been granted access to the truth type of thing. This motherfucker had some Novocaine and thought he's the next coming of Jesus Christ? I, I guess so, man. I mean, he Or he, some like, anesthe- like laughing gas? He had a near-death experience from a dental... Pro- they don't say... I couldn't really find out what it was. Like, it was just a routine cleaning. You, yeah. <laughs> it was a deep clean he that said, they gave him some They, they, they frosted me so hard, I, I, saw, <laughs> I saw Christ. <laughs> I got straight faded before a root canal and almost died. <laughs> 
for real though. Sometimes those dental techs really get in there with that floss. Like they're trying to, you know, cut a tree down with one of those camping saws. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, the experience prompts Elrond to write down the valuable lesson bestowed upon him by his uh, dental procedure death dance. It's never been published to a wide audience, but the known working titles were, quote, The One Command and or Excalibur. You know, this is actually reminding me of um, the My Pillow guy as he's right, like going through his like my, crack that's my my dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My religion. My bender. <laughs> so the name of uh, I my named dentist. I named my uh, baseball bat my senior year of high school. You know what the name of it was? What Excalibur? Oh uh, man. You know, there, there's the 4,000 dudes across America that had a bat named Excalibur in 1999. But I pulled mine out of the fucking stone. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the chosen one. It wasn't out of the, the lightning that hit the tree like the natural? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. My uh, my brother-in-law growing up had a bong named Excalibur. That's pretty awesome. Nice. Yes, yeah. all right. That his uh, mom found on Christmas Eve and destroyed. And yeah, they said that that was the worst Christmas ever. Oh, yeah. there's a, we have a few stories of bongs getting smashed yeah. like that. We got a good buddy that had one smashed, and I imagine if, it, if she smashed it inside, and the bong water. Would oh, the oh, no, they took them all outside field trip style. Oh. Still, the driveway. Stink. That bong water is like the nastiest syrup yeah. ever. Remember people drinking that sometimes? Oh uh, yeah. What's wrong uh, with people? Uh, Couldn't fucking pay me to do that. So potent, bro. Bro, I've got like super high, dude. I drank some orange juice after I ate LSD. And smoked a fucking smoked a Newport, yeah. and then I drank this bong water, bro. And also, I did like Jimi Hendrix, and I put acid in my eyes. <laughs> I slashed. I used a razor and I slashed my forehead. And I put acid on my headband and I wore it while I played the guitar. <laughs> like, no, you just just take the acid like normal, dude. But it's all right. Anyways, the people near him at this point in his life attest that Elrond talked openly about how this text was revolutionary and profoundly important to mankind. Various quotes attributed to Elrond by contemporaries include, quote, the idea that Excalibur would revolutionize everything and that it, quote, it was something more important and would have a greater impact upon people than the Bible, end quote. He attempts to publish. Hubbard apparently told his literary agent that, quote, whoever read it either went insane or committed suicide. And he said that the last time he had shown it to a publisher in New York, he walked into the office to find out what the reaction was. The publisher called for the reader. The reader came in with the manuscript, threw it on the table, and threw himself out of the skyscraper window. <laughs> End quote. So it's the most influential book ever. It's destined to be a bestseller, but it also kills you if you read it. Something's not quite adding up here, Ronnie. But no matter how important Hubbard claims the manuscript is to humanity, no publisher has any interest, which probably doesn't surprise his suffering wife. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. I can just imagine her rolling her eyes in exasperation as Elrond tries to explain how important this little manuscript is to the human condition and the species as a whole. It probably didn't help that Hubbard apparently just would not shut the fuck up about it. In a letter he explained to her, quote, Sooner or later, Excalibur will be published, and I may have a chance to get some name recognition out of it so as to pave the way to articles and comments which are my ideas of writing heaven. Foolishly, perhaps, but determined nonetheless, I have high hopes of smashing my name into history so violently that it will take a legendary form even if all books are destroyed. That goal is the real goal as far as I am concerned. 
So even if all books are destroyed, my name will live on forever. The Ron Hubbard. That's With it. my sheepskin condoms <laughs> and my hookers in New York. Which brings me to something that I feel is pertinent in regards to Elrond at this point. And that is a condition that is referred to in the psychological world as delusions of grandeur, i.e. a false or unusual belief about one's greatness, which is, in my humble opinion, the proper lens to view the man Elrond Hubbard through. Individuals suffering from delusions of grandeur might believe that they are famous. They might have an inflated sense of intelligence, a belief that they possess magical skills like mind reading, and yes, they might consider themselves a religious leader. Interestingly, while there are a few thoughts on the cause of delusions of grandeur in a person, one potential cause that I found listed was head trauma or general damage to the brain. So while I can't say with certainty that L. Ron Hubbard suffered from delusions of grandeur or that his dental procedure incident might have exacerbated the condition, I feel that it's a pretty good theory because after 1938, there seems to be somewhat of a shift in his personality, as you're about to see. This is where he becomes convinced of his universal importance. At one point, writing in a diary to himself that, quote, all men are your slaves. Well, quote, all men are, are your slaves. But at the start of the 40s, the publishing world and the world in general just wasn't interested in Elrond at all. And why would they be? He hadn't done anything. So he decided the next best step was to take another crack at the Navy. And lucky for him, he had a friend in a relatively high place, Washington State Representative Robert McDonald Ford. Was this his buddy that took him to the Library of Congress back in the day? No, no, this is a different guy. Okay. Ford writes a glowing letter of recommendation that declares Hubbard as, quote, one of the most brilliant men I have ever known. The letter works. Hubbard is commissioned as a lieutenant junior grade of the U.S. Naval Reserve in July of 1941. Interestingly enough, Robert McDonald Ford would later state that he hadn't written the letter at all, but rather had given L. Ron his blank letterhead to draft it, saying, quote, I don't know why Ron wanted a letter. I just gave him a letterhead and said, hell, you're the writer. You write it. God, this guy's almost like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, can I get, take a look at that pilot's license? Yeah. Just let me take a here. He was like, here, you can have it. It's expired. Well, and then he just yeah. forged it right then. You know, like, yeah. Like, well, and on top of that, like, he could have just been like, you know. Hubbard is incredibly competent, is an excellent sailor, this and that, but he's instead he's like one of the most brilliant men I've ever known. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But whatever. Elrond joins the Naval Reserve just in time for the kickoff of America's role in World War II. And according to him and the Church of Scientology, Elrond was a fucking war hero of the highest order. Of course. His wartime claims include being awarded 21 combat medals in World War II, being wounded in combat and awarded two Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star, being a commander of corvettes in the North Atlantic, where he engaged with multiple German U-boats, being machine-gunned in the back by Japanese soldiers on the Indonesian island of Java, having escaped from Java with a fellow spy on a rubber raft and drifting 2,000 miles back to Australia, having sunk a Japanese submarine after a battle that lasted 35 hours, and having returned home as the first American casualty of the war in the South Pacific. Is any of this true? Of course not. I was going to say, how did he return home as a casualty? Yeah, and he's all over the map. I died. (laughs) But I brought myself back. You could be, uh, casualties are included people that are injured or whatever. Oh, wow, I just got hurt. (laughs) Sorry. But also, he's all over the map. He's over, he's every square inch of World War II. He's like, I was in the North Atlantic fighting U-boats, and then I was in the South Pacific uh, getting machine gunned by the Japanese. I'm like, no, no, no. People saw like one theater. That was it. This is straight up like a Clive Cussler book. Like, yeah. you know, like this is just like the, his series. Like, and he's just like, that was my life. I Everything. banged Ava Braun in Hitler's bunker. 
Um, I'm surprised he didn't say that. Powered her out, bro. Her bosom was exquisite. <laughs> oh man, yeah. She 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 wasn't getting the loving that she needed. Hitler couldn't handle it anymore. He's Hitler like, had a small wiener. <laughs> he said, "Then I fucked Hitler." Yeah. Did you see the size of his mustache? That was actually the size of his penis. That's it. I, he said, I fucked Ava Braun, made her come, fucked Hitler. He came. Everybody, everybody did. Caught him in a state of weakness. <laughs> then I sabotaged the war. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, if you believe like the contemporary documentation that exists, here's what really happened. Only a few months into his commission, he gets posted to the Philippines. While en route via Australia, he's sent back to the United States, not due to an injury as he claimed, but rather because he was apparently acting like a horse's ass. The official uh, naval attache reported, quote, This officer is not satisfactory for independent duty assignment. He is garrulous and tries to give impressions of his importance. He also seems to think he has unusual ability in most lines. These characteristics indicate that he will require close supervision for satisfactory performance of any intelligence duty. <coughs> Delusions of grandeur. <laughs> so his ass is stuck in the U.S. for a minute and given the task of censoring cables. But he files for sea duty and eventually is granted his wish. He's sent to Massachusetts to take over command of a trawler that had been converted to a gunboat. Very shortly after arriving, he is deemed by the commandant of the Boston Navy Yard as such, quote, not temperamentally fit for independent command. And he is summarily relieved of his command. But the Navy doesn't fire people. So Hubbard is sent to his next command. This one, a training school for naval officers on submarine chasing. In 1943, he's posted to Portland, Oregon, and despite all the warnings issued in writing, is given command of a submarine chaser, the USS PC-815. He set sail on May 18th, and literally within the first five hours of his excursion, locates an enemy submarine and proceeds to engage in combat with the sub for the next 68 hours until he's eventually ordered to return back to port. That enemy sub... Yeah, according to the commander of the Northwest Sea Frontier, Admiral Frank Jack Fletcher documented, quote, an analysis of all reports convinces me that there was no submarine in the area. It was a ham and cheese. That's it. <laughs> Elrond seemed to have engaged with an already well-documented magnetic deposit. <laughs> was he in the Bermuda Triangle? No. He was in the... Uh, he was in the... Northwest Corridor. Yeah, there, something yeah. like that. Just one month later, in the June of 1943... Elrond takes the PC-815 south. He enters Mexican territorial waters without permission, which is a big international <laughs> relations no-no. Oops. <laughs> and engages in combat with some islands. That's right. He begins firing on the Coronado Islands for practice because he believes they are uninhabited and U.S. territories. Oh, They wow. are neither. <laughs> wow. He is, like, just pretty much declaring war on like foreign countries he was like fuck it let's just fire off some shots at that goddamn island over there she'll be cool make sure this shit works <laughs> i want to see some fireworks dude and then it was a, a mexican island with people that lived on it oh. he almost started a war with mexico <laughs> he is summarily relieved of his command of the pca-15 <laughs> and documented as there quote lacking in the essential qualities of judgment leadership and cooperation and wow quote. so he wasn't hunting down subs in japan and yeah. No, he was like a drunk guy shooting like uh, beer cans. <laughs> Fire one off into that asshole. <laughs> Get the fifty cal and light up that goddamn uh that, that that I don't know that hill over there. I guess. 
That underwater hill. You mean the mountain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm also a, a genius and an expert in bathymetry. <laughs> that is what we call a mountain. His command recommends that he is placed on a large ship where supervision is adequate. As soon as he is relieved of his command of the PC-815, he begins reporting every variety of ailment known to man, from malaria to bursitis to conjunctivitis, and spends months in a naval infirmary in San Diego. This is something I deal with all the time. This guy's calling out. (laughs) Just calling out from work. And you know, when you're ever in a management position, you know exactly who's calling out and when they're going to call out. You know it before that fucking text comes through. Is that the goddamn The Ron Hubbard again? (laughs) Fuck! So I have a, a text here I'll read you from okay. one of my employees. All right. Um, good morning, Randy. Happy Friday. I'm having really bad PMS symptoms this morning, stomach and back pain. I don't think I'll be coming in today, but I'll see how I feel later on. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no shame in that game right yeah. there. Like, He's like, I've, I've got malaria. He said, my, my- I'm PMSing real bad here. <laughs> he said, I got pink eye. And yeah. I'm pregnant. I can't go to that ship where they're going to observe me and watch me and supervise me. I've got pink eye. I can't make it. <laughs> I need to go where there's no management. <laughs> After the war, Hubbard claims that he uh, like faced a bleak future. Later writing to this time, quote, blinded with injured optic nerves and lame with physical injuries to hip and back. At the end of World War II, I faced an almost non-existent future. He had pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> Worst of all, he says that his family and friends abandoned him at this point, including his wife. He claimed that they didn't want to deal with what amounted to a cripple with no direction. But his own daughter would later clarify and state that her mother simply didn't want to root up her family again and move them to California for one of Elrond's ever-changing whims, which seems like a much more reasonable explanation. I found this job paying $15,000 Yeah, in California. There's gold in them hills, I'm telling you. He said, I had another vision from the Lord. I know I said that all that treasure was in the Caribbean. It's actually in California. It's in California, and it's not actually gold. It's called (laughs) timeshares. My street boo left me. (laughs) Do you have a show subject you think would be a great fit for Asshole Court? Hit us up on any of our social media pages and let us know. As you know, we're full of good ideas, and some say full of other stuff. But we'd love to hear your ideas as well. Give us a shout, and maybe your subject will wind up in our courtroom. We'll definitely give you a shout-out. Now, let's dive back into the courtroom. Uh, but like I said, you know, his daughter's version seems much more reasonable, especially considering that I didn't see anything in Hubbard's service record that would provoke so many maladies aside from him sort of hiding out from the embarrassment of proving himself entirely incompetent to naval leadership, which would certainly be a crushing reality to deal with for someone possibly suffering from delusions of grandeur. I mean, I'm surprised this guy hasn't gotten a dishonorable discharge at this point. Yeah, you got to fuck somebody up for one of those, dude. You got to murder somebody. Eh. They, people always talk about that. They're, you won't get those. They have like the dishonorable discharge, which is literally like you murder somebody or maybe a rape or something like that. You have a bad conduct discharge. That can happen to officers a little bit easier or whatever. Firing off missiles at Mexico. That shit should have been a... He's. I'm sure he caught a solid ass. But you have to remember this time too, like... <laughs> It's World War II. Like, they're like, we need bodies. Yeah, pretty much, man. Interestingly enough, Hubbard also begins receiving disability from the Navy at this point. Oh, he's just like Dan Bilzarian, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He broke both of his his legs. I broke both my eyes with pink eye. My legs, 
He said, now I, I get a, a disability check every goddamn week. It's amazing. And this is how I'm going to fund my whole timeshare business. Anyway, Elrond finds new friends and contacts to replace his old ones. The most interesting being a John Whiteside Parsons. Unlike Hubbard, Parsons was an incredibly accomplished individual, a leading rocket propulsion researcher at the California Institute of Technology and founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. JPL. That's it. Very true, man. Parsons also happened to be really, really into the occult and a friend and follower of Aleister Crowley. Basically a legitimately brilliant but totally fucking weird dude. For some reason, Parsons found Hubbard to be a fascinating and admirable figure. He allows Hubbard to move into his mansion with him. And Elrond, out of gratitude, quickly begins fucking Parsons' girlfriend, Sarah Northup. Hey, it's the courteous thing to do. That's right. But Parsons is pretty chill about the whole thing. He writes to Aleister Crowley about Hubbard, quote, He is a gentleman, he has red hair, green eyes, is honest and intelligent, and we have become great friends. He moved in with me about two months ago, and although Betty and I are still friendly, she has transferred her sexual affection to Ron. Although he has no formal training in magic... He has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. He's a master of the dark arts. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Parsons is so impressed with Hubbard, and so fucking weird to be honest, that he recruits him to participate in his Babylon working ritual. What is that, you ask? Well, you know, it's pretty standard stuff. Just a sex magic ritual in which Parsons and Hubbard engaged in a rite in which Parsons tried to impregnate with an antichrist child a woman he considered the whore of Babylon. Ah, uh, yes, it's the cult leader's tale as old as time. I remember my time in college. <laughs> we, try, <laughs> we try to impregnate this whore from Babylon with an antichrist. <laughs> Little old cheating, I was wearing my sausage casing condoms. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> Over several nights between February and March of 1946, Parsons would use his magical wand to whip up a vortex of energy so the elemental would be summoned. In more plain English... Parsons basically beat off uh, while Hubbard observed and looked for signs from the astral plane or something. Like I said, Parsons was legitimately brilliant, but weird as fuck. Parsons basically was a cuck, and uh, Hubbard yeah. was... Hang on, was he beating off watching Elrond bang his girl? No, no, no. He just beat off and Elrond watched? Yeah. He's like, oh, oh wow, what? that's not even cuck. That's just like... Gay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> if the shoe fits... Not that there's anything wrong there's with that. There's nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with that. that. And every, all of our listeners know that, you yeah. know. They find a chick that they think will be the mother of Babylon, and Parsons banged her ritualistically while Rachmaninoff's Isle of the Dead played loudly and Elrond's scribes or some shit. I don't know. I could go more into detail on this, but it's largely irrelevant. What is relevant is what Elrond does next. Hubbard pitches a business idea to Parsons. He and Sarah, you know, Parsons' ex-girlfriend that he's been fucking, would form a company in which Hubbard and Sarah would use Parsons' money to purchase yachts in Miami and sail them to the West Coast to sell for a profit. Aleister Crowley, who Hubbard would later falsely claim was a good friend, sensed a problem. Writing about the business venture, he says, quote, Suspect Ron playing confidence trick. Jack Parsons, weak fool. Obvious victim, prowling swindlers. Ooh, confidence man, the that's con it. man. That's it. What episode did we talk about con man in? We've talked about it in a number Multiple of... Multiple episodes. Yeah, confidence but man. Probably like the Elizabeth the, Holmes episodes. Maybe? I can't remember. We've talked about confidence men a few mm, times. No. Uh, was it Billy... Uh, Billy McFarland? Billy McFarland? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe Anton LaVey. Yeah. We have a few, we have a few con, con people on here. Con men, con women. Um, oh, no. It was What's Her Name with the show. Um, 
the horrible accent. Oh, that's right. That's right. Anna Delvey. Right. Anna Delvey yeah. was where we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, Alistair Crowley was correct because instead of sailing the first yacht back to California to sell, Elron writes to the U.S. Navy for permission to, quote, visit Central and South America and China to collect writing materials. Basically, permission to conduct a world tour on Parsons' yacht. We're looking for scripture. Well, he was like, hey, dude, so we're going to go over there and go to Miami and pick up his yacht and we're going to sell it because it'll sell like way more in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I'm going to take your girlfriend with me. And uh, and I get He's going to be the captain. We'll sell. He's like, all right, man, the, the, the margins are great on these. And then he's, uh, uh, you know, poor Parsons is like, oh, I guess it makes sense. Let's try that out. And then he's immediately he goes and he like requests because he's still in the Navy this time. He's, he's a reserve guy, so he can do whatever. Uh, so he requests like for the Navy. He's like, so I'm going to go travel the entire world. Is it OK if I can do that? Parsons the get, Navy's got, like, yeah, go for you've it. You've got a terrific track record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Ron. Honestly, go ahead. a lot of times it is sort of like they're just like, you know, if I don't see it, I don't care. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. just, hey, dude. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Uh, but Parsons got wind of Elron and Sarah's true aims and attempted to get a legal injunction to prevent them from leaving the country. Long story short, the company is dissolved, but not before Parsons is financially ruined and forced to sell his mansion to recoup his losses from the business venture. I stole all this shit. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah like bankrupted exactly them. Wow. The, the relationship between Hubbard and Parsons seems to have been horrible for everyone. L. Ron and Sarah returned to the U.S. broke, and Parsons would spiral until dying in a job-related explosion just a few years later. God, a job-related explosion? Yeah, if you ever get a chance to read about his story, it's sort of interesting, because at this point, he had left Jet Propulsion Labs, and he ended up going and getting work by trying to build like a explosion... Uh, it was like a, a munitions factory or something like that in Mexico. Okay. And while they were like building it out, it exploded and it, and it killed oh, him. Wow. It took a minute to kill him. Um, he lived for like six minutes afterwards, like blew an arm off and stuff like that. Oh, that's like almost like getting set on fire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Talk like, about a shitty like sunset to your life and career. You yeah. were balling at one point, yep. head of a big agency. Then all of a sudden you get Elrond. Elrond. Yep. The Ron comes he got, in. He did get Elrond. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Well, worse yet, when Parsons' mother found out about his death, she immediately committed suicide. Oh. This keeps getting worse. That's, yeah. that's two bodies Elrond has on him before we we're, yeah. were even talking yeah. about Scientology. Yeah. The Ron denies all claims. <laughs> and the foray into ritual sex magic was such a bad look for Hubbard later on that he claimed he was only involved in an undercover mission for U.S. naval intelligence to investigate black magic, which is almost definitely bullshit. Wow. So broke and desperate is Hubbard at this point that he, in a short amount of time, gets arrested for petty theft and writes to the government to receive psychological help, stating, quote, After trying and failing for two years to regain my equilibrium in civil life, I am utterly unable to approach anything like my own competence. Toward the end of my service, I avoided, out of pride, any mental examinations, hoping that time would balance a mind which I had every reason to suppose was seriously affected. I cannot account for, nor rise above long periods of moroseness and suicidal inclinations, and have newly come to realize that I must first triumph above this before I can hope to rehabilitate myself at all. I cannot myself afford such treatment. Would you please help me? Who do you send that letter to? To his dad. No, <laughs> to somebody that, maybe. I would, that I would understand, but like, like you know, like <laughs> to, to his recruiter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hate these letters. He sent it to the village people, <laughs> and it's at the deepest depths of despair that Elron 
pulls together elements of his Excalibur writing, remember the one after he had the dental thing, uh, yes. and writes the book Dianetics, and this one does get published. Like Excalibur, Elrond makes some very big claims about the importance of Dianetics. He claims that after reading Dianetics, people could expect the following health benefits. Quote, arthritis vanishes, myopia gets better, heart illness decreases, asthma disappears, stomachs function properly, and the whole catalog of illnesses goes away and stays away. Even greater, Hubbard claimed the work was, quote, the hidden source of all psychosomatic ills and human aberration and a milestone for man comparable to his discovery of fire and superior to his inventions of the wheel and the arch. What, wow. Superior to the invention of the wheel? <laughs> yep, you heard that right. It wasn't enough for him to say it's important to slice bread or something. He's saying it's as important to man as the fucking wheel. Now, the only problem I have with that now is from our previous episode, anytime I hear about the discovery of the wheel, I think of the commercial with the guy from... Larry David. With Larry David. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to catch on. The coffee one was the best one. But insane claims of importance aside, unlike everything else in Elrond's life up to that point, Dianetics is a massive success, quickly becoming a national bestseller, arguably due to a huge public fascination with psychotherapy at the time. Despite the huge success among the average American, the book definitely did not receive acclaim in the academic community. Surprise, surprise. For instance, Scientific American said that Hubbard's book contained, quote, more promises and less evidence per page than any publication since the invention of printing. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. That's pretty hard. For Scientific American to slap that hard is, is out of character for them. So, you know, they really fucking hated it. But that's never stopped the American public from swallowing boatloads of bullshit now, has it? Not once. <laughs> One of the claims was tested, though. The claim from Hubbard was that anyone who completed the course, read the book, and became what he dubbed as clear, would then have, quote, complete recall of everything which has ever happened to him or anything he has ever studied, end quote. But when the first clear, a woman named Sonia Bianchi, was introduced by Hubbard to an audience of 6,000 in August of 1950, she definitely was not capable of perfect recall. <laughs> she couldn't even remember the color of the tie that Hubbard was wearing during the demonstration. <laughs> the next person up was Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he tried to claim total recall. And there was a lady with three titties on stage, and he didn't know how many titties he had seen. But you make me wish I had three hands. <laughs> uh, the demonstration was devastating. For Elrond here. <laughs> this was so shocking. It sounds like everything is so like devastating for this guy, and he is Dude, he the hit Ron. A, he hit like, a fucking lick with the book. Let's be real. <laughs> he hit a lick with the book. Everything else in his life has been a complete fucking failure. Mm-hmm. Got kicked out of like three ships where he was yep. the leader. He's a fucking, he's full of lies. Yeah. Like, I mean, follow me home from the studio, fuck face. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're just spitting facts here, right? Yeah, it's true. It's all all documented there, man. (laughs) It was so bad, like, many of the attendees simply got up and walked out, dude. And things got worse. Hubbard had set up a Dianetics Foundation, which was like the precursor, basically, to Scientology. And it was faltering at this point, too, in hemorrhaging staff and money. By the time its main foundation in New Jersey and all of its branches closed, they were a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt. Which today would be like one point five million. Ooh, ouch! And I'm spending other people's money. <laughs> we need another Parsons around here. God damn it! We need another revenue stream. He's like, have you guys ever thought about timeshares <laughs> <laughs> or essential oils? 
can do anything. Smells good, cures cancer. Let me tell you about Plexus. Yeah. <laughs> who, Prank, want, who wants baby clothes? Pink drink. <laughs> uh, and to add insult to injury at this time, Elrond's wife, Sarah, was allegedly banging some other dude and on the verge of leaving Elrond. The Steve. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Elrond seems surprised by Sarah cheating on him, which is interesting considering how they met. Now, does Elrond go back to what's his name? He's like, hey, man, I got to confide in you. I think she's leaving me. He maybe uh-huh. went to his gravesite because at this point. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm oh, going to be yeah. honest. Uh, sorry you got blown up in Mexico or whatever that is. And sorry I fucking laid the pipe to Sarah and stuff. But, man, I didn't realize how this feels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I did this to you. Maybe I'll ask her if I can watch just like last time. Just like, but I'll, I'll scribe. So it seems more scientific, you know? <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, Elrond ain't about that shit, man. So he hires an attorney and prepares for a long legal battle with Sarah to gain custody of their child and settle the dispute amicably. I'm kidding. He and some of his Dianetics Foundation followers kidnapped them both. What? Wow. Yeah, he kidnapped uh, Sarah and their daughter Alexis, and he sought out a doctor in California to declare Sarah insane and have her committed, because that shit honestly used to happen a lot back then. Yeah, unfortunately, that's actually scary. Like that, there were so many women that got like sent to insane asylums because their husband we're wanted cheating. to fuck somebody else. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Like that's they just insane. didn't want to deal with them anymore. And they're like crazy bitch. In fact, the term gaslighting is from a play. Which was about a guy around this time in the 20s or 1910s or something like that who convinced his wife that she was crazy and he'd started by like turning the gaslight in the house down and she was like, feels like it's getting dimmer in here. And he's like, you're fucking crazy. It's not dimmer at all. And then he would turn it up and then she'd be like, that seems brighter. And so that's honestly where the term gaslighting comes from is a husband that was trying to make his wife feel like she was insane so he could put her into a nut house. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I really want to fuck Betty. <laughs> <laughs> I learned something today by listening to AHC podcast. <laughs> Luckily for Sarah, he fails in this mission. She's not condemned or not or not she's not uh, condemned. <laughs> she's kidnapped but not condemned. Yes. She's not sent or to committed. 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 There you go. That's there the word. Go. Started with a ca ca conceived, con- committed, con Con artist. Cuckold. <laughs> Cuckolded. I don't know. Fuck it. Parsons, where you at? This bitch is crazy. I swear to God. Uh, no, and he lets Sarah go while he takes his daughter Alexis with him to Havana, Cuba. She files for divorce on April 23rd, 1951, and stated in the paperwork that Elrond had married her bigamously, which is true, because he was still married to his first wife at the time when they first got married, and subjected her to sleep deprivation, beatings, strangulation, kidnapping. Again, that's also true. We know that. And exhortations to commit suicide. He was trying to convince her to kill herself. Jesus Christ. Sounds like a good husband. Solid dude. Solid dude. As the Dianetics Foundation and his personal life crumbled, Hubbard switched gears and, like every good confidence man and or marketing man does, begins a rebranding attempt. And this is how we get Scientology. Now, everyone listening is likely aware of Scientology and the idea that it is, at the very least, controversial. And this show isn't about Scientology, which really needs its own show because there's a lot there. So... With that in mind, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Scientology here, but I will touch on a couple of the weirder church beliefs here, if only to provide a kind of insanity sampler, if you will, in case you happen to be entirely unfamiliar with it. First, Scientology's fundamental creation myth goes something like this. Xenu was once the ruler of the Galactic Confederacy, an ancient organization of 76 planets. 
Having existed for 20 million years, the planets were struggling from extreme overpopulation. Fearing he'd be thrown out of power, Xenu gathered billions of his people, froze them to capture their souls, Thetans, and transported them to Earth, then called Tigiak, for elimination. He dumped them at the bottom of volcanoes and then destroyed them in a series of nuclear explosions, killing all but a few and sending their souls into the air. Once in the air, the souls were captured by Xenu, who then implanted into them misleading information, including concepts related to all the world's religions. After all this evil was carried out, Xenu was eventually imprisoned and Earth was left to be a mere prison planet by the Galactic Confederacy. Yada, yada, yada. Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch. Hold on, wait a minute. So the yeah, whole rewind con- there a little bit. That that is a lot to unpack right here. But I'm I'm gonna say, basically, Earth originally was a destination planet for annihilation. Yeah, some like a prison planet. It's like Australia back in the day. They'd send over there <laughs> you know, all the British slaves. Were yeah, sent yeah. To, yeah, or Georgia. Even Georgia was. Georgia was a was a slave state. I mean, not yeah. a slave state, but it was a prison state yeah. initially. Wow. Yeah, it was like that. But instead of them just coming over there and like working and, you know, keeping them out of society, they were uh, frozen and buried into a volcano, which was blown up with nuclear weapons. And then the their souls escaped out into whatever. And then and they, Zeno caught it, who was the, uh, the great Princess architect Warrior. of all of this. He didn't catch it. They He got imprisoned or whatever. And then like the souls are uh, he implanted their souls with bad ideas about like religion and stuff like that. I thought Zenu was the princess warrior. Zena. <laughs> oh, Zena. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's, it's, you know, kind of like the, the Spanish, you know, like masculine. Laron. You know, yeah, yeah. like Laron versus Elron. That's right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. It sounds like something out of a fucking comic book, honestly. It really does. Or yeah. a sci-fi novel because that's what he fucking wrote all the time. No, like, I mean, like that, like kind of parallels like the Eternals, which just came out on Disney Plus. This parallels so many superhero movies or like anything that you would see on Disney Plus, Hulu, or Netflix. They don't even go as far to talk about getting buried in a volcano and blown up with fucking nuclear bombs, though. Uh, yeah. No, but with, with the Eternals, they go back to like like 2000 BC. So I know we don't get into Scientology too much, but isn't this information you don't learn until like... That's exactly right. They don't phase or whatever. You don't know this because they if they sprung this on you when you initially went in for your first audit, you would walk the fuck out of the door. Yeah, this is like 33rd level Mason... Yeah, yeah. Like type shit right yeah. here. Because by that point, you've already been primed where you're like, you've already bought in so much that you're like, okay, well, I guess. But no, they don't. you don't walk in the door and they don't say, hey, 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 check it out. Here's, here's the story of how everything happens in Xenu or whatever. And that's what kind of uh, what Randy was talking about initially with the Leah Remini episode on yep. Netflix yep. that she talks about how like they kind of bring you in initially yep. and they kind of like, you know, they feel you out. They yep. kind of get you comfortable. They have you doing things, but you kind of you, you're climbing the ladder. It's grooming. The whole time. It's just yeah. grooming. Exactly. And yeah. then once you reach that top tier. Yeah. That's when you all the knowledge will be bestowed upon and you. You know what's crazy? It's all about dollar dollar bill. Exactly. Let's, let's talk about those Thetans real quick. The frozen Thetans of the Xenu story go on to play a huge role in the Scientology beliefs. Apparently, each human has their own Thetan, and Scientologists strive to purify these spirits through auditing sessions until they reach a state of clear. Auditing is one of the central practices of Scientology, in which practitioners are cleared of negative influences called engrams to heighten spiritual awareness and access untapped potential. The Church of Scientology has stated that the procedure is 100% effective as long as it is done properly and the recipient is truly seeking change. It's always one of those things where it's like, uh, if you pray hard enough, 
then things will happen. You you didn't believe hard enough. That's why it didn't work out for you. So from like the Leah Remini episode and stuff like that, from what I'm to understand, it's basically you would go into a confession style, like Catholic confessional, That's almost correct. if you will, and you hold the things. What are the things called? Cans. Cans. Yeah. And you tell everybody, you tell them all your deepest, darkest yep. secrets, and basically and they record they, them, and they record them. Yep. And they hold them against you. Yep. If you ever try to go against the church, and poor John day. Travolta got his uh, his confession taped, <laughs> and that's why he can never, you know, what I mean, like it's that's uh, why he can't let th- we're like, foot loose anymore. No, you it, know? It's, well, it's Kevin Bacon. Oh damn it! Yeah, John Same Travolta. Thing. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Randy. No, it's true though. It's uh, yeah. That's and that's how they they make an active uh, attempt to get celebrities involved because a, it's a great marketing tool, sure. and b, when you get people at that level, they have tons of money, and if you have all of their recorded audits, then you can be like, you can totally leverage that against them and be you like, can if take you take the influencer and yeah. do whatever you want with them. Yeah, and that's why we don't know that Tom Cruise has been killing people since 1986. Also known as blackmail. That's right. <laughs> Turns out, interview with the vampire was a true story. That's and right. Tom Cruise is just trying to keep it under wraps. That's it, man. Happily for the Church of Scientology, auditing is also wildly expensive. It is estimated that reaching clear costs about $128,000. God damn. And oh yeah, humans, oh they came from clams or some shit. It's another what? belief that they have. Clams? <laughs> clams. We're, we're, we're the pearls of the universe? Yes. Hubbard argued that the hinges of the clams eventually became the hinges of the human jaw and that by invoking your clam past, you can have a very real effect on a human today. So there's that. Anyway, the church takes off and rectifies all the errors Elrond made with his Dianetics Foundation, and perhaps bolstered by his financial success and the legions of followers of his Dianetics slash Scientology stew, he gains the confidence to write in depth about something else he claims to be an expert on: radiation. Seriously, hang on. What? This is the same guy that failed out of his atomic physics class. Yes. In 1957, Hubbard publishes all about radiation. From the original back cover of the book, quote, we have the sane and sober views of a medical doctor on the physical facts and consequences of the actual atomic blast and the diseases resulting from it. L. Ron Hubbard, who is one of the first nuclear physicists in the United States, has interpreted these facts and related them to human livingness, governments, and the control of populations. So that's the end of the. That Did quote, he write the back of the book there? I don't know who wrote it, but that's uh, what it is. So my big takeaway from it was L. Ron Hubbard, nuclear physicist. Correct. So the claim is that <laughs> is that L. Ron is both a medical doctor and a nuclear physicist. <laughs> Not to mention inventor of new words, human livingness. <laughs> but we, <laughs> you know, I ex- I experience human livingness. Often. That's right. Pretty much every day. Every day. Yeah. Every day. I'm not I'm not human deadness. But we already know from actual documentation and records that Hubbard actually flunked the only course in nuclear physics that he ever took. And he definitely didn't finish med school or even attend it. I mean, it's fucking crazy to me that anyone would ever buy the shit this guy sold after just a cursory glance at his history of absolutely verifiable lies. But whatever. Thankfully... The scientific community doesn't buy his bullshit. A board of inquiry in Australia wrote of the book in 1965, quote, The board heard evidence from a highly qualified radiologist who has made a special study of radiation and its effects. 
He said that Hubbard's knowledge of radiation, as displayed by his writings in All About Radiation, was the, quote, sort of knowledge that perhaps a boy who has read intermediate physics might, with a lot of misapprehensions and lack of understanding, demonstrate, end quote. I'm not, I don't have time to get this because there's, on, on the Scientology website, they talk about he was like a gifted musician and stuff like that. He wrote like operas. This guy, according to Scientologists, like the true believers, this guy was the epitome of the Renaissance man. He makes Da Vinci look like Corky off a of Life Goes On. <laughs> that's, that'd be like Randy is a fucking Shakespearean expert. Yeah. He reads lots of poems and mm-hmm. short stories from the 17th mm-hmm. century. Like, He's already wrote Romeo and Juliet, and he's going for his Hamlet. Right. I'm telling you, dude, it's it's insane to me. But now, why was there a board of inquiry in Australia over a dumbass book about radiation by L. Ron Hubbard? Well, it's because a lot of the world was assessing the danger of him and his church at this point. In fact, that inquiry wasn't just about that book. It was an overall inquiry into Scientology and ultimately determined that it is, quote, evil and a serious threat to the community, medically, morally, and socially, and in its adherents, sadly deluded, are often medically ill. I think we need to get out of Sydney right now. Yeah. That's, it's, Jeez. you're about to see here. Wow. Here in the States in 63, Federal agents from uh, the FDA raided the church's Washington, D.C. branch, and the IRS revoked Scientology's tax-exempt status after determining that Elron himself was skimming millions from the church. In 1967, in response to the increasing governmental pressures globally, Hubbard escapes to the high seas where he hides for the next eight years, and it's during that time that he conceives of the Sea Org. I'm and, on a boat, motherfucker. I'm on a boat. <laughs> yeah. Him, Justin Timberlake, and uh, Andy, Andy Samberg yeah. are on a boat, bitches. That's right, dude. Sea Org is a contingent of Scientologists who are effectively a personal navy for Scientology, adorned in village people looking uniforms and all, who sign their souls over to Scientology for a billion year tour. Yes, really. So if you go back and watch the, the whole Scientology uncovered thing with yep. Leah Remini, the whole, the Sea Org, it's a serious deal for those Various. guys. Like when you go in there. I said you, it very is. It very much <laughs> is. It very is. Go you, ahead, Randy. Honestly, you pretty much commit your life to yeah. your religion at that point. No, beyond your life. It's a billion years. You know, whatever. Yeah. My grandmother lived to be a billion and 70. You're so, going to do you your know. 70 living years with the Sea Org. But after that, in case it's really real, you got about, I don't know, like a uh, hundred million more to do. <laughs> I remember watching interviews with guys that were in the Sea Org that yeah. kind of got there and were like, yeah, this isn't what I thought it was cracked up to be. Yeah. They put you pretty much in like Slave a brick. Labor. Yes, exactly. They would work you 16, 17 hours a day just like literally scrubbing yep. the sides of the boat and shit like Elrond's asshole with that's your toothbrush. That's right. And that's what I say. It's like they have a basically like vessels that are cruise liners. Mm-hmm. For a fucking church yeah. at the end of the day. It's worse because like that's the least of it. They have private prisons that nobody touches because Scientology well, has tons of money. I mean, private prisons. What, what, what They've got their own Guantanamo, basically? They really do. I mean, if you there's David Miscavige, who's the head of Scientology now. His wife has been missing for damn near 14 years now. They found her and she did say, yes, I'm alive. Yes, this is me. Yes, I'm oh, okay. So she's not dead. She's not she's- dead. She is basically in the private Scientology prison. Excommunicado. Uh, officially. I mean, nobody really knows what's going on, but there's multiple people that have, uh, and these are very high up people who left the church and they're like, this is 
basically what they have like the Will Smiths and the Jada Pinkett oh, even guy, beyond that the guy like, that did the interviews yep. with Leah Remini was a super high up representative oh really the, the official like press president of yep. Scientology oh okay and he would release all the press messages for Scientology he was for their years social and media years. director oh exactly and he, he talks of claims of like physical abuse yep. from David Miscavige like getting beat up just straight harass oh, just yeah. terrible fucking life and he's like dude i am fucking out yeah like fuck this it's shit. true the people that are really high up that fuck up in the church they end up going to this place for it's basically like a north korean prison to an extent you know what i mean so it's not great dude yeah it's uh it's it's whatever you got sea or you got private prisons and they have uh so much money and they're so litigious and so aggressive that people are afraid to fuck with them oh um, they go through your trash and they shit. do yeah yeah now when hubbard finally returns from his self-imposed exile at sea He's also ready for war. He's ready to take the fight to the governments of the world, the organizations, and the people that have been disparaging Scientology. He devises a plan to have members of his church infiltrate over 136 various government agencies, foreign embassies, and consulates, and private organizations. Once they were inside, they stole documents, planted documents that were beneficial to the church, surveilled personnel, and ran various other intelligence and sabotage missions. To this day, it stands as one of the largest infiltrations of the United States government in history, perpetrated by up to 5,000 covert Scientology agents. Eventually, the plan is exposed, and in 1983, 11 church leaders, including Hubbard's wife then, the third wife, were convicted and sentenced to prison for the conspiracy. It was called Operation Snow White. That was in Australia, correct? It was, it was everywhere. Really? It was, the U- like I said, it was in the U.S., Multinational. Was, yes, they took over everything. But the the U.S., like I said, it was the one of the largest infiltrations of the United States government in history. I know he got convicted of fraud in absentia in Australia, he, he, right? Well, yeah, he got in, he got in trouble in France. He got in trouble for Australia. In France, and, that was it. Yeah. And he got in trouble. He didn't get in trouble for this one for Operation Snow White. He was what they called an unindicted co-conspirator. So uh, he, I am not a crook. Yeah, they knew he had done this. Uh, but they didn't have enough evidence because the, he had had enough layers between them, so his wife caught the heat for it. What an ass. Yeah. Uh, the legal hit to the church doesn't help Elrond's paranoia issue, and him gorging himself on a laundry list of drugs didn't help either, which is interesting, right? Because one of the major tenets of Scientology yeah. is an aversion to drugs. Yep. Honestly, one of the entry points to Scientology for a lot of people is the church's claim to have an amazing grasp on treating and healing individuals with substance abuse issues. Now, I remember a, an ex-girlfriend of mine, her brother had uh, some very serious drug issues and her family came from a lot of money. Yep. And I remember at one point, uh, her mom had asked me like, hey, we're going to put him in this program. What do you think about it? So she gave me the literature on it and I was looking through it. And I was like, this is Scientology. Like they, but it was masked. They didn't really bring up Scientology initially. They talked about like, oh, you have like sauna treatments and that you take vitamins and exercise. And you're like, on its face, you're like, okay, I can it's see that. It's almost like a rehab. It's a rehab, yes. But it's an entry point for a lot of people yeah, sure. to get into Scientology. Well, when you're like in that stage of going into rehab, you're in a, a point vulnerable, of desperation. Super vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like you're why, looking for anything that can take you out of that darkness. I mean, we've covered this on multiple shows at this point. The The prime target for a cult is vulnerable people in any way that you can be vulnerable. So that's what kind of like surprises me or like makes me think that maybe there is just a little bit more than meets the eye. Because I mean, like you see like the people that are like Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Jada sure. Pinkett, all the people like the really successful people that are tied to Scientology. Mm-hmm. And you think that like, you know, like these are people that, you know, like on the surface at least look like they've got their shit together yeah 
and like I should be listening to these people. I mean, fuck, I love Will Smith. I'm not gonna, you know, like you guys know. I met but you him are was, gay for Will Smith. I am yeah. fucking gay you for Will him. Smith. Yeah, I met him when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, and it was like one of like it, it was a great experience. It wasn't yeah. one of those like you meet your heroes and you're fucking disappointed. Right. Like I remember walking away from that thing and being like, Will Smith is the greatest fucking guy in the fucking world. Yeah. And then to see him promoting Scientology later yeah. on, it's like, uh, what's going on here? And then slap Chris Rock. I mean, you know. Uh, you well, know. the thing is, the thing is, is that there's, I actually just got done with a book that was, is called Cultish. And it's a, it's a fairly good book. And she sort of addresses how cults work, how they bring people in. She talks about Scientology. She talks about Jonestown. She even talks about how, it's not like it's a hard cult, but, Things like CrossFit and stuff like that is like yeah, there's, there's there's language that's involved and stuff like that and there's 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 a literally you can draw the timeline on getting somebody involved in the cult which is to get them involved in something simple like oh you, you need help with drugs and again like I said when my ex girlfriend's brother was going through that stuff and they were going to send him over there I read that th- it wasn't branded as Scientology it was branded as just like hey we're here to help you out and then so they get you in the door and then they make you feel comfortable and they do things that, that she in the book cultist she calls it love bombing which is they tell you you're great you know we love you so much and it makes you feel like you're welcome you don't have everything anybody. you want to hear yeah and then they slowly turn up the temperature and then you get to the point where they're telling you that Xenu uh, planted frozen souls into volcanoes and blew them up with but it's too late by then. You're it's just too late. at that point, but you're already invested. Yeah, you've already you know? paid 120 yeah. grand to get yep. to that point. Yeah, exactly. and that's the thing is that like you want to read the last chapter of the book. <laughs> they, we, they talk about this a lot, right, Randy? Yeah. Exactly. They talk about this a lot. Is that like at a certain point, it's harder to get someone to not believe that, even if they because they've committed so much. They're so invested. They're all in. Yeah, they're they put their chips in the middle of the table. Yep. They're all in. The money's there. The thought is there. That two seven offsuit has to work. Has to 100%. work. One hundred percent. I've got a three gonna, and a four. I'm gonna outdraw this motherfucker. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that's right. how it works. And it works across every cult that you'll ever find. It really is. There's yeah, a there, David you could Koresh, write a book. Yeah, like all of them. It's true. If you have no scruples. And if you're a, and you just want to fuck, and you're a vaguely, basically, and it, it always ends up fucking too. It's always but, with fucking. But it's basically, at the end of the day, I it's just like, like to fuck. <laughs> it's like, hey, I need all of my my disciples to give me their wives. Yeah, and Koresh we was will the king of that, and yeah. we will walk into the new world. Yeah, yeah but I was like, the king of if fucking. you have no scruples and you're a charismatic person, and you are willing to study up and and do this thing you could start your own cult dude there's tons of cults out there right now that don't end up in death cults and stuff like that yeah. or, or or big enough to be scientology but it's not like I said, we've gotten requests lately to do a show on on keith Rainier, who was yeah, the, the, Rainier, the head yeah. of that cult or whatever that had the girl from the superman show and, and she, it was like branding all the actresses yep, yep. and it's yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's it's the same shit it's the same shit and they talk about keith Rainier the same way scientology talks about l ron hubbard he was like the greatest smartest man ever He's highly revered yeah yeah i don't even know who the fuck that guy is but yeah then again, i'm me yeah, basically uh, he took a couple of like cw stars and stuff like that and like literally branded them and like was trying to create his own scientology in a way he had his own uh thought process on how humans work and, and I mean, it's, it's it's all the same horse shit bold move cotton it's true 100 hey, honestly why don't we uh as a start podcast a cult stars yes yeah, start a cult hc uh, podcastology that would be the what? definition of hypocrisy because all we talk about is how much we hate cults. We would call it assholery. Assholery. There you go. I need you to send us all of your money, and me, Randy, and Mikey will do the best with it. You I know promise. What? You can submit a custom request through Patreon <laughs> in terms of dollars. That's let's it. let's we see. We will spike, entertain folks. any idea for the right if you amount get a, of money. If you get a tattoo of AHC podcast and put it on Instagram, we'll pay for your entire year of. 
Patreon. Patreon. And we'll, you know what? I'll throw it out there. We'll pay for the tattoo as well. I love it. I'll okay. do it. I'll Absolutely. do it. Yeah. Get an AHC podcast tattoo. We'll pay for a year on Patreon and the tattoo. And the tattoo. There right go. there. All right. Right here. Now back to the subject here. <laughs> Value $200. <laughs> now, Elron, uh, like I said, we're talking about how much they are. We're talking about, like, you don't take drugs. You hate drugs. But Elron fucking loved drugs and all sorts of drugs at that. For instance, in a letter to his third wife, Mary Sue, in 1967, Elron says, quote, I'm drinking lots of rum and popping pinks and grays. What is Ooh, that? What are pinks and what grays? Are pinks and grays are uppers and downers. Like Elvis. That's it. Oh, wow. And one individual who spent some time with Hubbard at sea made this observation about a chest in Elrond's cabin. Quote, it was the largest drug chest I have ever seen. He had everything. Yeah, End quote. Of, I was getting bombed on pills and writing of, books, brother. Turned into Hulk Hogan now. That's it. <laughs> Say <laughs> your prayers and eat your pinks and grays. <laughs> Even his own son, Elrond Jr., had, uh, had this to say regarding his father's drug use. Quote, I have personal knowledge that my father regularly used illegal drugs, including amphetamines, barbiturates, and hallucinogens. He regularly used cocaine, peyote, and mescaline, end quote. The drug use and the paranoia and an arguably long history of what appear to be psychiatric issues are adding up in the mid-80s. He developed Howard Hughes-like eccentricities, flying into rages if he smelled detergent in his clothes, which caused terrified staff to rinse his laundry in multiple water buckets. It's what it is, dude. I mean, he's, he's also, at this point, he's losing his mind. He's, he's losing his absolute mind. Like, and so he's, he's living, like, off the radar, right? Pretty much. I mean, they have, he has a, a in fact, like I said, by 1986, he's living in a bluebird motorhome on a spacious ranch in Big Sur. And it's in this camper that Elrond's brain sparks one final time and a massive stroke takes his life on January 17th. When an autopsy is performed, it is determined that Elrond also had massive amounts of the psychiatric drug Vistaril in his system. Now, what's interesting about that, too, is that they're anti-drug anyways, but they're especially anti-psychiatric like, drugs. Right, like, they're right. totally against... like. Any to prescribe kind of like depression drugs. They hate psychiatry, okay. essentially. Like it's which is I don't want to get in. Like I didn't they're get more into on too the much. Freud side of everything. They're on that psychiatry as a whole is total horseshit. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is interesting because again we go back and him actually begging for help at one point. But it's interesting that like that the drug in his system that on massive amounts when he died was visceral or whatever, which is like an antipsychotic. Um, but they like. His use of psychiatric drugs is glossed over by the Church of Scientology, which declares that Elrond, quote, willingly discarded the body after it was no longer useful to him, and that this signified, quote, his ultimate success, the conquest of life that he embarked upon half a century ago. He is the pharaoh that has finally descended into yeah. the afterlife, yeah. basically, you know, is what they're believable, saying. right? Yeah. You know, the guy said, eh, I'm done here. I'm going to go ahead and discard this body, move on to the next one. Well, that's what it is. They they all had access to the same shit. They got the autopsy report. They saw that and they lied to themselves and lied to everybody else instead of being like, hey, you know, he was on antipsychotics or whatever. Maybe we need to reassess everything that he's been preaching to us. Instead, they're like, he discarded his his body. He didn't need it anymore because now he's saying they're lying to themselves. He's and the this ultimate is, martyr. Yeah. So look at him. That's it. And that's L. Ron Hubbard, the latest man in human history to found a major religion. Final scores. Jesus Christ. All right, buddy. Unpack it a little bit. What you got? Oh, man. This is tough for me because, you know, like, I I look at L. Ron, I look at Scientology, and I've always been a skeptic. I love 
Tom Cruise. I love all of his movies. Mm -hmm. I love Will Smith. I mean, there's the whole new Chris Rock, you know, like, but I love Will Smith. He's always been like top tier in my, in my book. And so to, uh, yeah, Scientology's always been a tough sell, but it's some of my favorite people that are like involved in it. But I mean, when you look at L. Ron Hubbard, I mean, like this is a guy that is a consistent liar. He has delusions of grandeur. This motherfucker shot missiles at Mexico in peacetime. I don't know if they're missiles, but definitely fired some artillery. He was in on a submarine and shot weapons uh, well, at Mexico. In all fairness, I don't think it was malicious. I think he's just a fucking idiot. It was just like, hey, Still. it was the equivalent of a, 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 a drunk dude with a shotgun, like blowing away beer cans. All right, but. We put this drunk dude in position of power. That's true. That was like, that was the Navy's fault. They they were like, "There's plenty of documentation. <laughs> that you shouldn't make this guy captain of a ship." And uh, they sure they sure fucking did it. All right. So then we got you know like his altercations with Parson and his moms. Like his moms committed suicide. Now he fucked Parsons over, bro. Like he stole his girlfriend, stole all of his money, and left him basically bankrupt. Yep. His mom committed suicide after all of this. Um. I mean, he's praying and people in need. Like, straight up, like, you know, like... Absolute narcissist. And see, this is the problem that I have, because I see, like, this parallel through, not only just here in this episode right here, but I see this, like, you know, like, even, like, in the Catholic Church when I was growing up. Like, I watched the priests of the Catholic Church do this shit to my mom, where they were like, hey, you need to, to like, give us 5 to 10% of y'all's, uh, like, net income yeah, every year. Yep. And if you don't, you're a bad Christian. Your mom a bad is, Catholic. Your mom is like one of the most saintly fucking pure humans. On That's the what earth. I'm saying. Both of, you, both of your moms are just great people. And my mom took me to, to a bar to watch uh, Tyson <laughs> beat up Peter McNeely. I'm just my mom's also awesome, but it's just in a your different mom is awesome. Way. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. Like I really have like a place in my heart that I fucking hate people that make people feel bad about not donating enough to the cause. And you're a bad. Supporter of that religion. It's a grift, bro. It's yeah. fucking bullshit. And like, yep. I hate that shit. All right. And then he fucking kidnaps his wife and his child mm -hmm. at some point. And even like there was beatings, tried to get her to commit suicide. Like, yeah. And that's before we even get into like Sea Org and his like private prisons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, God damn, man. Like I had this guy at a 7.56 on the front end and he hadn't even like committed any murder. But man, he already has Parsons and his mom. On my shoulders, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, no, this guy is... It's tough, man. Like, I hate it. But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and bump him up. I hate bringing anybody above a 7.0 as a final asshole score that really hasn't killed anybody. But, for me, L. Ron Hubbard is a very dangerous individual. And I'm jumping him up to an 8.5 as a final asshole score for the Ron Hubbard. 8.5 from Buddy. Randy, what you got, bro? All right, so, yeah, lots to unpack in that episode, but, uh, buddy, you hit on a lot of key points, right? Like, some psychological abuse yeah. with spouses, and honestly, a lot of psychological abuse from other humans. We Anybody about, that he was involved with, it we almost talk, seems Yeah, like. exactly. We talk about the cult leaders and kind of how they prey on the vulnerable folks of society. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just a fucked up, like, avenue to take. You know yeah. what I mean? You know who you're dealing with. You know exactly who you're dealing with. And to essentially drag out and demand the dollars that they do. Manipulate the money yeah, out of them. That's exactly right. To pull that much money out of folks. Like to seriously, to become clear is over a hundred grand. It's like buying a fucking starter home 
to join a religion. Are you yeah. fucking kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Like, I just have a hard time buying that, man. And I, I didn't know about some of the, the abuse and, and stealing his homeboy's fucking wife yeah, and yeah, banging yeah. her. And- yeah. Yeah, as weird as Parsons was, man, like, hey, undeniably a genius when it comes to, like, rocket propulsion. He worked at JPL. Like, he started any of those JPL. guys at JPL, those he front guys? started it, yeah. I those mean, are the guys that put the fucking man on the moon yeah, at yeah. the end of the day. And then, I mean, as weird as he wants to be, you're kind of like, hey, do your own thing. You can go beat off in the Mojave Desert and try to find <laughs> the devil woman or whatever. But, like, you know, it, it largely harmless. Motherfucker stole his yacht. Yeah. Stole yeah. his yacht. Yeah. Money. Fucking was like, hey, by the way, I'm going to go dip out and yeah. fucking do my own thing for a while. Stole your yacht, your girlfriend, and all your money. But, hey, go have a good day. And and the other, Parsons openly is like, yeah. He, well, she also to- made him buy the yacht and then stole it. <laughs> you, know, you know, details, details. I'm going to steal your girl and your yacht and take all the money and fucking dip out. It sounds Not- like a rap song. Elron <laughs> is the Ron, mm-hmm. and he should be a rapper. Yeah. That's it. The Ron Hubbard. That's it. His raps would be untouchable, baby. <laughs> but anyway, I I mean, Mister, steal your girl, yeah, take your, take your yacht, bro. I don't, I don't fucking dig cult leaders. And I'm honestly, I'm putting this guy like, look, the number of bodies on him is is lower compared to like a Jim Jones, right? But sure, you there was no Kool Aid that was drank. No, but if you go back and look at the number of people's lives that he's negatively affected, yep. yes, over the years, you look at all the folks that if you go like watch some of the Scientology documentaries about like families getting broken up and just the the terrible shit that they have to go through based off of some fucking in my opinion some crazy fucking dumb shit yeah one is like yeah your souls are in a volcano that blew up with nuclear weapons and it takes you 150 grand to get to this point Mm -hmm. and if you ever doubt me you're going to a fucking private prison you can go fuck yourself i'm putting you to 9.0 you're as bad as jared fogel hey i'm right there i think that's roughly around the right Yeah, you know, I mean, this guy, this guy is terrible. Like, I just, I can't get behind anything that he's done. Any of the 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 cult leaders just fucking, yeah. you prey on the vulnerable and have yeah. a hard and time usually with that. for sex. Well, and like I said, it, there's, there's there's never a moment where you could sit down with them in a room and be like, "What you're doing is wrong," because they're, they they don't think like a, a decent person. They'll yeah, always they can always rationalize it. They'll always tell you it's 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 like a mental illness, man. I mean, like that's the thing. Like I said, he you know narcissism, delusions of grandeur, all stuff like that. When you see these people that run these cults, they're all this fucking same. They're yep. like it's yep. like a fucking it's a carbon it's a playbook. Copy. It's a playbook. It's a, it's a playbook, exactly and it's right. a carbon yep. copy of those. Per- yeah. And, you, and there's no redeeming those people to be honest. Like they'll always find a way to be a scam artist. And he does look like the fucking skipper off Gilligan's Island. They had sex with Milton from the office uh, from Office Space. So 9.0 for uh, Randy, and I think that's actually a pretty solid score. I'm gonna actually going to go with 9.0 as well. You know, like I said, his, his, the, the lives, the deaths of people he's uh, affected uh, indirectly is, I mean, it's there, dude. It's not great. And it's eternal. Like, it just won't stop because he's, he's, he died in 86, and this shit's still going on. Stronger than ever. Stronger well, than ever. Well, I, I well, feel like yeah, it, it, they, five years ago, they've taken a solid ever. ass beating in the past 15 years, yeah. thank God. And and again, dude, I'm not even joking. We really may get a cease and desist on this one because we may. They are incredibly litigious, and they will like go at you tooth and nail for the the smallest issue that you have with them. Well, and that's not surprising considering how fucked up this dude is. Yeah, like if if I was him, mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, I don't want any of this fucking shit getting out. Yep. I've got a billion dollars. Stop all of it. Yeah. And we will fuck anybody who comes at us. Well, and that's the other part of the playbook for a cult is always when the the members of the cult 
they're told not to look outside of the cult's information. That's right. They're always told, like, don't mm-hmm. believe what the media is telling you about this. It's all lies. It's don't all believe lies. your family, don't your friends. Like, that, they're, 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 they're evil. They're, they're, they're yeah. misguided. Anybody that doesn't buy into it, you're told to avoid. So, anyways, end of the day, 9.0 makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, good, good call on that one. All right. With a 9.0 from Randy, an 8.5 from Buddy, and a 9.0 from Mikey, L. Ron Hubbard's final asshole score is a 8.83. 8.83. So he is more of an asshole than Jeffrey Epstein and the year of 2020, which was a terrible year That was in a history. fucked up year. So, bad I mean, year. that's... It was a bad year. That's... Yeah. Absolutely. And, and don't fucking follow me home after the uh, the episode. <laughs> no. Hey, if we ever see any white fans, or if all of a sudden, AHC podcast shows just get stopped... Y'all know what happened. Or if I marry Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. Y'all know what's happening. Awesome. We hope you guys enjoy this episode of Asshole Court. Guys, you all got a free Conspiracy Court episode a couple weeks ago. We hope you enjoyed it. Check us out on patreon.com slash AHC podcast to get more. Again, stickers and swag, voting rights to future shows, shout outs, a whole bunch of really good stuff, not to mention all the Conspiracy Court episodes. We love you. Take care of one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court. Asshole Court.